0: Where teens' erratic mood swings and emotional outbursts make you feel like you're on a never ending roller coaster ride. And this episode is for you. The challenge of dealing with teen emotions is difficult for both parents and teens alike. Parents feel like they're walking on eggshells, unsure of what will set their teen off next and how to handle it when they do. And teens are feeling overwhelmed by growing demands around school, grades, performance, and behavior, and the expectation that they should be able to handle it all and still be pleasant to be around. Although it may seem like a lose-lose situation at times, there are things we can do to change the dynamic. Today, I'm joined by Gina Nelson, a licensed clinical social worker and the creator of the 10-step method to combating teen anxiety. Gina is going to teach us how to help our teens manage their big emotions and have conversations about tough topics in a way that makes them feel safe and calm. Welcome, Gina. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Thank you. I'm excited to be here, Dr. Kim.
0: So let's just start with a brief backstory. What has inspired you to focus on teen anxiety and emotion regulation?
1: Oh gosh, I know it's complicated. I'll give you the short version. Um, clearly I was an anxious teen and, um, as in the therapy world, we kind of tend to work with, um, people that we relate to. Um, but back then I didn't really think anxiety to, um, for me was an issue. I, I thought it actually kind of propelled me and helped me to be productive and, um, successful and, um, really launched me into my career early and all of those things. So like a lot of my clients and a lot of the teens I work with, um, they're kind of wired like that and um it's not until you start to recognize that that unbalance or that um imbalanced nervous system that is just running 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 trying to seek and achieve and do all these things really needs to have the other aspects to kind of calm that parasympathetic nervous system down and recognize self-compassion all the things that might have been missing yeah
0: I love that you said that because I think um, one of the things I see too that is the struggle is parents are trying to motivate their kids to kind of, they want them to, you know, feel like they need to succeed and to aspire and gain their potential, but what we're seeing is that kids are are expressing that or responding that with anxiety instead. So rather than feeling motivated and energized and ready to go, they're feeling less motivated and just really anxious, and it's paralyzing. Where does that? How how are we miscommunicating that? How are we asking for one thing and receiving something completely different?
1: Yeah, no, great question. You know, I I think um, my generation of raising parents, you know, we we had this expectation. Go, you know, kids are all going to college. Everybody has to you know, compete against everybody to get into the best colleges. And I, and I think that we still see that in today's parents. There are a lot of highly educated people that have a real strong value for that. But when you look at what the comparison is to other kids and in their social um, network, what are those kids doing? And so the parents are, you know, extremely busy. They've got their kids over, um, over challenged with all these different expectations that are an AP this and AP that, and they're not doing all these things and they're not playing sports and they're not doing the music and all of the extracurricular activities and the volunteering, then they're not enough to get into the university that they want to get into. And so on some level, it's like these expectations from the parents and you know these ideas of what it takes to compare to others to get places, I think has really driven it and it's kind of hard to back out of it and for people to to look at it and go gosh is this really working and and what if what what happens if my team doesn't do all these things how are they going to succeed
0: so it sounds like us parents are very anxious that our kids aren't going to do everything they need to be successful in the future and this is rolling down on our kids and now for a lot of kids what i'm hearing is it feels like their entire adolescence and childhood The only thing they're doing is preparing for a future and they're not enjoying today at all. Absolutely. So explain to us, like, again, like, how is this happening and how do us parents kind of get out of this, our own anxiety that we're kind of pushing onto our kids?
1: Yeah, great, great question. I I think that, you know, parents need to kind of self-check their own thoughts and their own beliefs and feelings and even their own. Um, shame triggers and things that are happening as they're engaging with their friends and their, um, you know, oikos of, of people that are in their their network. Because I, I think what's happening is, when parents have their own shame trigger, like like if my kid isn't doing all these things and doing what you know Susie's doing and Amanda's doing and all of these other kids, then is that a reflection on me? And if I'm not you know doing everything to get my kid to do all of these things, then how how am I being perceived by my friends and how does that reflect on me and and so I think that that whole idea of what do other people think is a huge driver for for especially for anxious parents because they're very much in tune with what other people think and how they want their kids and life to look and and of course you know I want to just give a um you know, heartfelt um, appreciation to parents because there is no great rule book and, you know, we're all just doing the best we can, but we all have our own stuff. And depending on whether parents are actually paying attention to what is driving their own um, anxiety and uh, able to kind of check in on some of those things, I I think that the kids are modeling and watching what they're seeing from their parents.
0: Yeah. Uh, That's a hard pill to swallow sometimes because, I think a lot of parents are feeling like they're responding to their kids, right? So their emotions and their reactions are all just in response to, but kids are feeling the same thing. They feel like they're responding. So we've got lots of emotions going on. And I know um, for parents... We're getting it's very difficult because we're seeing our kids melting down. We're seeing them getting really anxious and we're doing everything we can to be like, I'm not expecting you to get all A's. I'm not like we keep telling them, I'm not expecting you to do all this. But yet you feel like you still have to. How is where is that miscommunication coming from? And then I want to get into how do we get the where are these emotions coming from and how do we bring them back down?
1: Yeah, um that that's great. I, I think that I hear that a lot. Parents are saying it's not coming from me. I keep telling them it's okay to get bees. It's okay, just do your best. Um innately, I think these teens have looked at parents who have um successful careers and they see their parents working really, really hard. They also see um, parents sometimes who don't know how to sit and don't know how to relax. And just by watching what their parents are doing, they're learning that it's not okay to sit and and just do nothing. It's not okay to just sit with our thoughts and just appreciate kind of nature or go for a walk because busyness is something that they're learning um, from a lot of parents as well. And, and so for some of the teens that I've worked with, uh, they also have a, a misperception about failure with their parents, okay. and they see their parents as never having any challenges, they were just completely successful, look at them, they've got these great careers and salaries, they've never struggled, and if a parent isn't able to be vulnerable, and to share some of the mistakes and failures that launch them forward, the, the teen just is living with a, a wrong story.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting because even parents when they are vulnerable, I think part of their whole hope and, and I get this, is that we want to prevent our kids from going through the same struggles we did. So we get frustrated and we say, we're offering you all these opportunities so that you don't have to go through the struggle I went to, through. And I think what is hard is our kids need and want to go through that struggle rather than just being told what they should do.
1: Yeah, yeah. And, and to be able to sit with the struggle. Yeah that is not an easy thing. Um, You know, I'll use myself as an example. I mean, I think I've learned a lot, but my my youngest is 22. I've got three kids. So, you know, I've been through the teen years, but in the thick of it, when I was in it, and here I am a licensed clinical therapist, knowing what it's like to sit and be present with people in my office. But when you're up at four o'clock in the morning and you're, you know, rushing and, an hour drive to work and a nine and a half hour day and an hour home. And then like game on with homework and extracurricular activities, you're multitasking. And so I get that parents are busy, but in that multitask, when we're picking up our phone or we're checking an email and our kids trying to tell us something and we're not present. The, the cue that the kid is taking is, that you know, their nervous system makes up a story and it says, you know, mom's not really listening. They don't really get me. Um, Dad doesn't have time for me because they don't sit and really listen. And we have to be really mindful of where we are emotionally when our teens or kids are trying to talk to us because half the time they're not telling us the real story. And we're supposed to guess and read between the lines of what's really happening.
0: Yeah. And I think so. This is a big piece, too, is that parents are very frustrated that their kids won't open up to them. So let's get into... The first thing is, how do we create a safe environment where we're open and we're calm and having conversations? How do we even start that when our kids aren't coming out of their room?
1: Yes, yes. Well, uh, that, that's a great question. Um, you know, I, I think we first have to look at our own nervous system and how do we, what do we do to calm ourselves down? And what are we modeling for the kids? So, you know, if we're, You know, saying, Hey, we all need to go out and get some exercise or go for a walk or appreciate and just slow down and not be in that frenetic energy. I I said that frenetic energy is a lot of the buzzing that the teens are seeing. And some of them just want to avoid it and stay in their room because it's too stressful, you know, to even come out and watch and take on their parents' um, anxiety there. Um, the other thing that I think parents really want to be mindful of is really looking at a values inventory of where, you know, what's important to them and what their values are and how does their teen align with some of those values? And and what are some of the clashes? Because in today's world, we're seeing such polarization, just even in what teens are being taught and what they're exposed to, as opposed to what parents have been exposed to and, you know, And we're not going to get into politics or religion, but but some of those things certainly are influencing whether they're um, known values that are expectations in the home or even kind of the the unsaid nonverbal messages. And so if a teen is feeling like they're deviating at all from that or what the, the family system's expectations are, they're going to feel alone, isolate more, withdraw into the room. And not not feel safe to come out and really be honest about what it means to belong or to not fit in or what's going on for them.
0: I think this is a really hard thing for parents to kind of <clears throat> accept and be OK with is that are we feel like it's up to us to instill the beliefs and instill the values and instill and kind of create and, and form who our child is, right, what our child believes, what our child, and I think it's very difficult for parents when kids become older and start exploring that for their own, and they may differ, and we're like, oh, no, 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 you you can't, you're not allowed to differ, but saying that doesn't make them differ, it just makes them feel like you don't get me and I'm going to separate, and I see a lot of the emotions coming from this sense of frustration from our kids going, you don't get me. And then parents going, you can't express defiance or disrespect or emotions like that. And I'm shutting you down. And we just get this clash. Mm -hmm. How do we, when we're both coming from it, from this different perspective, how do we start fixing or changing that dynamic so it doesn't turn into this clash?
1: Yeah, a, a lot of the work that, that I do individually and in my coaching um, work with parents and, um, and teens is teaching them a um, concept called polyvagal theory. I'm sure you're familiar with it, but it's it's really this sense of an emotional ladder where at the top of this ladder, we feel safe and we feel connected and our nervous system is constantly scanning our environment for safety cues And so the minute we perceive, you know, mom or dad, not listening or not paying attention, or we get some kind of nonverbal look that says, Ooh, they're not on board with this. Our nervous system as a team just goes straight into fight and flight. And so now they've already got walls up barriers, nothing that's going to happen while they're in that fight and flight is going to be a good conversation. And so then their own shame triggers are getting activated. And in that space, you know, we do kind of want to, like three things, usually we either withdraw and we get really small and retreat back to the room and say, I'm not gonna engage because you don't get me. Or we come out swinging and fighting really hard and lashing out. And we see that with some of the teens where there's this kind of people pleasing, like, I'm just gonna get it right. I'm gonna keep hustling, hustling, hustling to, to get on mom or dad's good side so that they finally see me and acknowledge me. And so the teen is trying to figure all this out. But the parent has a nervous system too. And so depending on how savvy the parent is or how much capacity they have to just say, you know what, we're both activated right now. Let's take a five minute time out. Let's just go chill out. Let's relax for a moment. And then let's come back and have a conversation when we can get curious about what just happened. Yeah. That's not happening. That's the part that's not happening.
0: It is, and I think it's really hard because, you know, two of the things that I see the most frequently when it comes to big emotions right now are big outbursts of anger and temper tantrums and just losing it, right? And the second one is, like, the panic attack and just shutting down completely, And so it's like these two extremes that we're seeing with our kids a lot and parents don't know how to respond to that. So let's go to the first one. They're having an anger outburst. They're they're just losing it, right? They're starting to yell. They're throwing stuff. Maybe how do parents respond to that?
1: Yeah. First, first, I would say, take a breath, just kind of reset and anchor your own nervous system into some bit of safety. And, recognize this is maybe not about you. This is about something that's going on with them. If we can kind of take the blame off of ourselves so that we don't bring those defenses up, we're we're going to be in a better space. Um, just even acknowledging, I see you're really angry right now. And you know, I want you to just go for take a walk, you know, take a few moments to kind of settle yourself. I really can't hear you when you're in this space. And I want to understand you, but I need you to take a moment. Definitely. let's both take a moment. I, I think just calling that out, the white elephant in the room and just taking a pause um, is, is necessary. And, and the team might not be ready to, to retreat. I mean, they might be swinging and, and yeah. fighting and, and the parent also might not be ready to stop. And that's kind of the problem is that we're both in fight and flight and we're just clash, clash, clash. And somebody has to be able to recognize we're here and nothing productives. Going to happen in this space. It's probably not going to be the teen.
0: It will not be. Correct. And I've even seen where teens, and I've heard this from parents a lot, where they're like, well, I'm trying to say that. I'm saying, let's calm down. Let's separate our time. And they just follow me everywhere I go. They just follow me and they're just going on and on. What do they do then if the teen's the, not backing off?
1: Ah, uh, yeah. Um, well, you know, I, I'll tell you, I mean, I teach some of my clients, even if it's, whether it's a partner or a coworker, sometimes we just have to go to the bathroom and shut the door and have your quiet space. And I'll teach them. um, We we do a lot of um, bilateral tapping and um, Mm. I'm an EMDR therapist, but um, a lot of it is, you know what, if they're not leaving me alone, how do you get to a space where you can shut the door, have a barrier and ground yourself and tap, or, you know, use your box breathing. Um, I I know you you had that on on your uh, your website. <laughs> when I came on this morning, just something that just settles you enough to just go, okay, I'm not engaging with that yet. Yeah. And, um, you know, again, this is not a perfect science. And when we look at family systems and somebody trying to change the dance, somebody's always going to, you know, take some time to change their behaviors to follow the new dance.
0: Yeah. And they're taking their cues from us. So when we, Get, when we get caught up in their emotions and we start bringing it, like you said, we're now both in fight or flight and nothing good is going on. And so the, the moving yourself and kind of keeping your own boundaries, you can't make them respect your boundaries. That just isn't you've got to respect your own. So it's I like the idea of, you know, going in and shutting the door. It's not slamming the door in their face and saying, I don't have enough of you. It is just I need some time. I'm going to shut the door right? We'll be back. So it's not an angry move, right? It is a, I need some time. This is not about you either. I need some time. The other thing I want to ask you real quick too, before we move on to the anxiety one and the shutting down is sometimes it is about the parents. In fact, a lot of times the anger is directed at the parents because they don't feel like the parents are being heard or uh, they don't feel like they're being heard by their parents. I'm sorry. So when it is specifically directed at us do we handle it differently
1: as a parent you mean or as a
0: a parent so the teen is actually specifically mad at the parent because the parent's not listening or the parent they don't like the way the parent is responding or they don't like the answer the parent gave them Mm -hmm. and they're angry do we address it differently well I
1: I think we still have to calm the nervous system down so that we can get curious because no rational brain is activated during that fight and flight. It's just all emotion and nobody, nobody is seeing eye to eye. So, so I think you still need to calm down. One thing that, that I've noticed with a lot of the teens that I've worked with, and it really depends on you know, how emotionally um, savvy, I guess I can say that the parent is, that if the teen has a true concern, um, a criticism of what they're receiving or perceiving from the parent, if the parent can't own that, have capacity to say, "Okay, wait, I'm calmer now. I hear you. Let me let me look at this." Um, if they don't do that and they get defensive, uh, sometimes what what I see and actually. Pretty often for a lot of my anxious teens is I'll see the parent almost flip into kind of a victim, you know, like like their own shame gets so activated that now the parents crying and the parents saying, I'm just a horrible parent, you know, why don't you go find a new parent or, you know, they're exhausted and frustrated, but now the teen is in a place where not only have they not been heard and the parent hasn't taken accountability, but now the teen feels like it's not safe. To talk about my feelings because when I talk about my feelings, mom or dad fly off the handle, or now I have to pick them up because now they're sad and depressed and crying, and now I have to fix that.
0: Yeah. And that is definitely not a safe place to have communication. So the bottom line is we need to check in with ourselves. We need to be calm because they're reflecting on us. And we also need to reflect on what they're saying. There may be some validity and that's okay. It's, a, it's an opportunity for us to grow and understand.
1: Yes. That, that,
0: sum it up a little bit. I, I okay. think that's
1: a great summary. Yes.
0: Okay. So let's go to the other side. They have completely shut down. They are going into panic mode. They've locked themselves in the room or I've heard in the closets. They are, they're just They won't go to school. They're just, they've shut down. Now, what do we do as a parent?
1: Yeah, so I think at that point, we have to look at the difference between you know, kind of like the the panic and the anxiety that's happening. And then this place that really we, we overuse the term um, overwhelm. I I think (laughs)
0: I'm overwhelmed by the use of overwhelmed. Yes.
1: Right. Um, And, you know, Brene Brown talks a lot about that in in her latest book, but it's that sense of once we hit overwhelm, it's really the sense of blown. And from this kind of ladder, this polyvagal theory, once we get to a place where we hit overwhelm or blown, we drop to the bottom of this ladder. And at that point, we're totally disengaged. We feel so unsafe. Um, There's no connection with anybody. So when the the negative thoughts get really, really loud of I'm not good enough, you know, you you put an I am, I'm not in it, you know, like I'm not pretty enough. I'm not this, I'm not that. That gets really loud there. And at that point, it's almost impossible to just say just go to school. You just have to go engage because they're so, like, um, they're, they're just they have no energy. They're they're lethargic. They're they're in this space. So we have to meet them there, and you know certainly if they're in that space and they're not going to school, you know I think that's obviously a really good indication of when you need to get a third party involved or a therapist or a coach to to help them understand how do we. How do we meet them there and learn to kind of bring some energy and get back into a little sympathetic and then reach for those anchors that we really need to be able to feel safe again and teach them how do they pull themselves back into safety, even when an environment feels unsafe?
0: I think I always think of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs with the, when I come, to, we talk about stuff like this too, because, you know, we're trying to get them to do something you know go to school and do you know succeed when their baseline of just feeling safe isn't met yet and they can't we can't expect anything beyond that until they feel safe until they feel accepted that is required before they can do this next level and i think we try to jump right to just go to school and it'll all be better but it doesn't because it just creates more of that anxiety and fear Right.
1: Yeah. And and I think that, you know, even though all of us have access to like all three parts of this ladder, I think that, you know, some people run more in that sympathetic all the time and they might dip for a moment and they don't really know what it feels like to just be in that real lost place. Um, and, and so for a parent who's wired like that, they're just like, we well, just got to get going. You just got to, you know, here's the to-do list. This is what we need to do. And they're frustrated because their teen can't pull together maybe the way they've been able to in the past and just like, just go, go, go. That's how you fix this. That doesn't always work. And so when we're down here, we have to, we have to slow down our expectations. We just have to go, you know, what, what do we need right now? Maybe it's just sitting with your teen and not saying anything. Maybe it's watching a, a TV show with them and just being present with no expectations until we can start to see a little energy come back and and really get to know what's going on.
0: I love that. And I think it's hard because we have this sense of urgency, especially when it comes to school. It's like our urgency is not even... It's like, they gotta get to school at this time. Like there's so much time constraints around our ability to empathize. And we're like, we'll empathize, but we only have two minutes to empathize and then we gotta go. And if it doesn't work in that, we get frenetic, like you said, and everything. So this expectation and this timeline, I think is really hindering us. How do we get beyond that to give our kids enough time? And then the second piece of that is, We also have this fear if we don't address it immediately, it is going to become something that is a problem, lifetime problem. Like if I don't address them going to school right now, they will never, ever go to school or work or anything the rest of their lives. Like this is kind of where we're going. How do we get out of that belief and be able to sit with them in that moment like they need?
1: Yeah, well, you know, that's that's a hard task because you're... You're asking a parent to go against all of the external stressors that they have on their life too, right? If they have to be at an employment and they have a boss that's less than empathic about these kinds of episodes. Um, I remember when I had my kids in school, you know, when you called in, it was like, are they sick? because there's no funding if they're not sick. And if you said they're just having a bad day or they're it's like that, that, that wasn't an option. Yeah. So You're getting institutional stress from the school and administration. And, and then you're looking at, oh my gosh, everybody else's kid gets up. How can their kids can do this? And why is mine not? And what am I not doing? And so it's just this very complicated piece. And I, and I guess the, the short answer is if we can just, say kids first, family first, like all of those other expectations have to just wait. Because if I don't address this right now and, and be present to see what's really happening, then, you know, I, I'm putting all my own stress and my own anxieties of like, all these things have to happen. So you got to do this because I have to do these things. Yeah,
0: And that's, that's a hard one. Cause I can hear people right now going, that's all well and good for you, but there's no way I will get fired if I don't show up at my job. Right, and so it's such a hard, yeah, it's a hard place to be. And I think at that point too, being able to empathize and get right to the empathizing, right? It's not. It's um. I think the more we try to push and rush and force a fix, the longer it takes because now we're creating more pushback. The quicker we can get to, okay, I'm gonna sit here and listen. I'm going to let you have time to get through this and give them the time. It actually goes faster than trying to push them through fast, <laughs> which creates more no. anxiety.
1: Um, you know, but but I think we're also seeing, and I hear this a lot from some of my uh, my parents that are, are struggling, um, just saying, look, now, you know, what, back when I went to school, we didn't talk about anxiety. It wasn't like a buzzword. I mean, people had it, but it wasn't like, I'm anxious, I'm anxious, So now kids wake up and they say, you know, I'm anxious. I don't want to go to school. And the parents saying, you know, at some point I can't just keep taking off work and sitting with you. Like at some point we have to get back into life. And so how do we, how do we sit with them and talk to them and also say, okay, I get that you're feeling anxious and life is still happening out here. So what's like the the best thing that I can do to get you to the next step, which is maybe we're just getting to class today and we're going to maybe have a conversation later and we're going to address the anxiety later. But at some point there has to be a push and tug that says we have to still, we can't just check out of life. We have to still move forward.
0: Gina, I want to ask you how you feel about this because one of my theories is that we have... I mean, just like overwhelm, we are using anxiety and depression to explain every single emotion on the planet. And so now we are basically, you know, I'm nervous. So now I use, I am I'm have anxiety. I'm having an anxiety attack when really you're nervous, which is a very natural feeling. So I think Mm -hmm. some of the point is we want to help our kids be okay being nervous, helping them normalize that. Like, it's okay. Here's here's how you address nervousness, right? Here's how you handle that. So we start giving them the tools, but changing the language, changing the words, so everything doesn't become anxiety. Yes. And yes. now I'm if I'm if I have anxiety, that means I need to stay home and I need a therapy, you know. And it's like, no, you're nervous. <laughs> right.
1: Right. Well, I, and I think the language is such an important piece, and I'm glad you brought that up because it is. It, it we've we've couched it into these. Two terms, anxiety and depression, yep. right? Everything. And, and if we really unpack it and we look at what are you really feeling? Kids don't have a vocabulary Correct. for I'm disappointed, I'm excluded, you know, I'm, I'm feeling alone, yeah. I'm I'm grieving you know, that loss or a loss of expectation of who I need my parent to be or, you know, whatever it is. And so giving kids language is such an important piece. And I, and I know we're going to talk later about kind of my, my new tool that, that I have for communication with this journal, but it's about giving teens the language so that they can actually start to identify what am I really feeling versus I'm just anxious.
0: Yes. So let's get into your tool. Tell us about that.
1: Yeah. Well, I know um, I'm just going to show it because I'm actually on screen, but this is it. It's called um combating teen anxiety. And it, you know, really is just a communication tool. Um of course there's lots of directions on how to use it, but essentially there's a teen side to it and there's a parent side. Nice. To it. And, you know, my intention was to teach parents and teens how to communicate as um, effectively without the defenses. And since we know, having these conversations are so hard face to face because all of this is happening that by using a journal like this a teen can actually say you know it, it starts by um like kind of generous intention language saying like i trust that it wasn't your intention too mm-hmm. so it's kind of setting the parent up to say you know it's not you did this and i'm pissed because you did that and then you know we're we're looking at um i'm giving the kids feeling vocabulary words so that yes nice they have language And we're also looking at where do they feel it in their body? Uh Because, because, you know, um, from the work that you do too, that even adults have a hard time connecting the emotion they're feeling and where they feel in their body. And why is that important? Because, because our body gives us indication that we're anxious before we have a thought that we're anxious And if we can start to recognize the body sensation and what are you feeling, we can start to reach for an anchor for that nervousness before it's a panic attack to go, okay, this is how I feel. Sit with that feeling a moment and let's breathe or let's do this other technique or let's use, you know, uh, visualization, uh, something that they can relate to that resets that nervous system and brings a little bit of safety back. And so by using this journal, it allows them to not only identify that, but then I think the most important part is there's a section that says, I feel emotionally unsafe to talk to you when uh-huh. and it, it forces the team to actually recognize what is it, mom, dad, is it that you're not paying attention? Is it that, you know, I'm assuming that your values don't, you're not going to hear what I have to say? What is it with their body language? And then I'd feel safer to talk to you if, and, and so we're asking the team to get a little bit more um, awareness of what it is that is making them feel unsafe. And, you know, and then it does an option to just say, you know, our relationship is important to me and, you know, fill in the blank with whatever else is important. And then it gives the parent an opportunity to kind of sit with that information, hopefully process it, and then yeah. write a thoughtful response back.
0: I love that. That is that is amazing and wonderful because, I, you know, one thing I hear a lot, too, is parents going, you have to trust me to tell me this. You've got to tell you've got to trust me. You just need to trust me. And I'm like, it doesn't work that way. If your kids don't trust you, you can't tell them to trust you. You have to understand why they don't trust you and address mm-hmm. that.
1: Absolutely. You know, and it kind of goes to that same like because I said so. It it doesn't happen that way. We have to earn that. And again, I, I just want to say I know parents are doing the best they can. And it's not that parents are just not, you know, we're just struggling and there is no real rule book. I have three kids and all three of them are completely different and they had completely different struggles. And so what works for one doesn't work with the next. And so, you know, we just have to have a lot of compassion for ourselves. And be able to sit with and get curious what's going on for us too. What are we feeling about this? How do we feel about whatever the struggle is? And, and we have to work on our own stuff. And, and, and I I think sometimes parents go, oh, my child's anxious, but more often than not, we have our own stuff that contributes to it. And if we're not doing that work or we're not modeling that, then we're not teaching them that struggles real and that we all struggle. And that even when I don't feel great, I still have to show up at work and I still have to find a way to reset my nervous system so that I can function.
0: Yeah, and having letting our kids see that, see us having the struggles and overcoming them is probably way more powerful than telling them that they need to overcome their struggles, right? Because if they don't see you struggle, and you're in don't see that, then they just think something's wrong with them rather than going, oh, this is a struggle. We all face them. Mom and dad right. face them. And we know that we can overcome struggles. And that is really, really important.
1: I mean, that's the most important lesson in life. Right. And you know, what, what I see with these teens is they're working so hard, like you said, missing out on life as a young person to prepare for this life. And then they're failing out of their first year in college because they're so anxious and they haven't learned to cope with all of life's struggles. And they don't have the the parrot sitting there saying, you're going to school. Then, then they just, they get to a place where they get overwhelmed and they, and they shut down, Adam. Yeah. And so we need to teach them how to, to you know, we, we live in a world with the trophies, right? Everybody gets a trophy. Everybody's doing great. And they don't learn to fail. Yeah. And, we launch them out into the world where failure is a part of it and they're not getting the jobs and they're not, you know, they're competing with other people that are just as talented as them. And they need to learn that they're still good enough, even if they didn't get that job or they didn't get that, whatever they were going after.
0: Yeah. I think the big distinction that I kind of heard you say too, is like, we need to teach them to fail, but I think we want to make sure we're not teaching them that they're a failure. And I think a lot of kids are feeling like I'm a failure, and that's bad. Rather than I have failed, and I learn from that. So I think there's a big distinction there. And when our kids fail, we tend to get them really heavy on that. Like, don't do that. That was bad. That's that was terrible. Why did you do that? And then they just feel like a failure.
1: And, and what you're talking about is really the distinction between shame and guilt.
0: Yes.
1: Right. Yes. I, I did something. I failed. I can study and I can do better. That's guilt. Yep. Shame says, I'm a failure. I'm a failure. I'm bad. And that's a much bigger issue. And so if the dialogue and the story in their head is I'm bad, I'm a failure, then that's going to probably take a little bit more than a, a communication journal for a parent teen. It's going to, it's going to take a therapist or, you know, a coach to help them understand shame triggers and, and the story that they make up, that's not true when they're in a different place, when they feel safe and connected.
0: Yeah, I love that. Okay, we could talk forever and ever and ever, but I want to be mindful of your time. So how can people find you and find your workbook? Yeah,
1: okay. So my, my website is www.authenticgains.com. Um, that takes to a lot of what I do. Um, on Instagram, I'm at authentic um, gains. G-A-I-N-S, and then on Facebook, it's just all one word, authentic gains, and then for um, the combating teen anxiety, it's up now, it's pre-order, it's actually being shipped out November 1st, and um, that's on amazon.com forward slash author forward slash Gina, G-I-N-A, Nelson, N-E-L-S-O-N, and there's a a Kindle version too, but, um, you know, they kind of forced me to put a Kindle version out there, it's not as good. The hard copy is what you really want. It's where you can actually write. If you get the Kindle version, yes, it's cheaper, but you're going to have to print it. And it's <laughs> yeah,
0: not, that's not That's you know, not it's, great it's, anyway.
1: It's not going to work that way. Um, the other thing that I have for, for parents, I have a free a mini course. And so that's at um, www.combatingteenanxiety.com. And so um, if they get the journal, there's, uh, there's a link to that. But if they go there, there's a, um, a four-part mini course that teaches them some of the skills about managing nervous system and all of that. And, and of course I have a full co- co- you know, coaching program that I, that I offer. And so people that get a, a taste of that and want more, there's more available.
0: Perfect. I will have all the links in the show notes so everyone can find all of that. Um, before we go, what is the one big takeaway you want parents to have from this episode?
1: Oh gosh. Um, I, well, again, I want to just say, I know you're doing the best you can, and we can still do a little better by being more mindful of our own emotions and the vulnerability that we can bring to the table for our teens. And if we can just acknowledge our own stuff and show them, Hey, we're doing the best we can. We screwed up. We make mistakes too. And we can circle back into a conversation, even when we make mistakes with how we parented or how we responded the circle back is the most important part so so make sure that you go back and have a conversation and don't leave it just kind of shoved under the rug and go oh let's not rock the boat everybody's happy now you know we want to go back and readdress what was actually happening so we can get to the root of it
0: that is so key thank you Gina I'm so grateful you could join us today
1: Thank you. It was a pleasure being here, Dr. Cam.
0: Yes. And thank you, parents, for taking time out of your busy day to spend with us. I really appreciate you, too. If you want to learn more about how to help your teens thrive, you can grab my top 10 secrets for raising teens at askdrcamcom slash ParentingTips. Until next time, have a peaceful, positive, calm day. And that's a wrap. And remember, parenting teens may not be easy, but with my help, it can be a whole lot easier than this.